This is the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. The podcast for curious and passionate dental hygienists. Hello, Kara Bavrosky with Today's RDH here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined by Dr. Emily Bogey, Dental Administrative Chair and Director of the Dental Hygiene and Dental Assisting Programs at Hawkeye Community College in Waterloo, Iowa. So welcome back to our preventive discussion series sponsored by Dent Supply Serona as we talk about strategies to remove biofilm and the instruments we have on our trays. Hello, Kara. This topic is one that I'm really excited about, mainly because what's out there today is so much cooler than what I had in dental hygiene school 20 years ago. So in my travels around the world, speaking to dental hygienists, the topic of burnout always seems to trickle into the conversation. And I truly believe that one way to prevent occupational boredom or burnout or whatever you want to call it is to ensure that we stay up to date with the evidence-based instrumentation technology that manufacturers are working so hard to create to make our lives easier. That's so true. We, we've we all seen it on social media and many of us as hygienists um, have seen it happen to ourselves or colleagues in our own offices. Um, there are so many psychological aspects of being an oral care professional and links between psychological and social health and oral health. Absolutely. In our previous video, we talked a lot about oral health acting as a mirror that indicates and reflects our overall health conditions, um, lifestyles, oral hygiene, that all comes into play. In addition, the oral cavity harbors an array of microorganisms that interact with our diet, the oral environment itself, um, our, our bodies as hosts, and all of this complex dynamic interaction results in microbial colonization and subsequent oral biofilm formation. And this contributes to the inflammation and to the disease activity within our bodies. So these diseases in turn can have a detrimental impact on the oral health, psychology, social interaction, um, all of these elements in the patient's daily lives. Halitosis is a prime example of a psychosocial problem that results from oral biofilms and other health-related issues. Although oral biofilm formation is inevitable and cannot be eliminated, the severity can be reduced through effective oral hygiene measures. It can be treated, it can be lessened, before it significantly impacts our patient's quality of life. Similarly, if we treat oral diseases that are present and we can prevent tooth loss or replacing, you know, as we replace teeth that are previously lost, we can improve patient confidence as they speak and they smile and they interact with others. That helps to improve their overall communication throughout their life. Yeah. Oral biofilms uh, and an oral biofilm, it, it's so much more than just like the sticky gunk on your teeth. Um, it is a critical public health issue um, in health, um, social interaction um, and psychology. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's actually it's more than just health. Right. Um, pathogenic microbes um, residing in the oral cavity have the power to disrupt 
psychology, social interaction, friendship, confidence, love. Um, it, it's so many things. Exactly. And our goal as dental health professionals should be one of a very precise health, precision health. That's the phenomena that is, is becoming a, a more of a buzzword. This precision health focus aims to protect the patient health by measuring all the facets of their health, such as their genes, their behaviors, their environment, um, the, the bacterial count and, and type within their body, there's so many other factors. And as health professionals, we can step up and provide this precise health care and assist the patient in acting on things that will help them. And these interventions that we give them can be tailored per patient rather than using that same approach to treat everyone. Yeah, and you you and I have spoken about this many times in videos, the idea mm -hmm. that we need to stop treating every mouth the same way with the same armamentarium. We need to respect science by integrating the most current, valid, evidence-based science mm -hmm. available rather than only what was available 10, 20, or 30 years ago because we are more comfortable with that. Absolutely. And complex dental diseases such as dental caries, such as chronic perio, um, such as chronic oral facial pain, oral cancer. These are all examples where the application of personalized medicine has the potential to mitigate the chronic and often destructive nature of these diseases and disorders because it allows us to take a more proactive approach to the disease diagnosis and therapy rather than a lot of our current techniques that are more reactive, more of that wait and see approach. And the key to successful implementation of personalized medicine in dental practice, it really depends on the identification of the clinically validated biomarkers that can be reliably linked to the specific diseases and helps to provide reliable targets for therapy. So although predictive biomarkers for most chronic diseases remain kind of elusive, there are a few incidences where the successful application of clinically validated biomarkers has been effectively employed in diagnosing and treating things like cancer. And to accurately practice personalized medical dental integration and care, we must listen to our patients. Um, this is one area where uh, I feel um, dentistry has done a great job. Um, we collaborate with our patients and assess each patient by gathering the data such as radiographs, probe depths, um, a complete health history and medical history, um, in risk assessment prior to treatment. Uh, we spend the time we need to allow patients to make the best decisions possible for their health goals. Right. We, we spend the time it takes with our patients. If 80% of U.S. adults have some form of oral inflammation or perio, and we hear this all the time, you know, 80% have some form of, of oral disease or periodontal infection, we know it begins with biofilm. And we know the oral bacteria that lives in these complex biofilm communities, they they exist and we can establish a treatment care plan based on this data that we receive in our assessments. And we can assure that we have the right tools for the job. And these tools are in line with the assessment that we've done. If a patient's assessment indicates that their mouth is a 
complete building fire, we can't go into that building fire staffed with only an air water syringe. We got to have a full fire truck of tools and we got to have a high pressure hose. We got to have the tools that we need to best suit the job at hand. To add to your fire truck analogy, yes. Um, a valuable tool on that truck is an ultrasonic, um, such as like a Cavatron 300, um, mm -hmm. along with a full cassette of tips to put out that fire. Exactly. And for so long, our focus on ultrasonic instrumentation was related to a more traditional approach. So as the research and the literature has evolved, so has the thought process on the importance of biofilm removal versus calculus removal. For example, a 2019 narrative review of research by um, Akalai and Lang mentions that the mineralized microorganisms in calculus are incapable of any metabolic activity. It goes on to emphasize calculus is a safe harbor for biofilm. But more importantly, it states that biofilm removal is more important from a therapeutic approach than the deliberate removal of the, the subgingival calculus itself. So we shouldn't ignore the calculus removal because it does harbor the biofilm, but the biofilm itself is really the culprit. And that needs to be on the top of our mind as we're using the ultrasonic instrumentation. Yes, in the more contemporary approach of ultrasonics has been outlined as the research focused more on biofilm as a culprit. In manufacturers, developing thinner diameter inserts or tips with curve shapes, plus the added benefits of cavitation. So our subgingival access and adaptation in challenging anatomy is improved, um, as, as has our ability to maximize biofilm management. Uh, the contemporary approach established ultrasonics are a true triple threat, I guess you could say. Um, ultrasonic, ultrasonic technology efficiently and effectively disrupts and removes biofilm, calculus, and stain. Absolutely. The, the 2019 Gehrig text, uh, Fundamentals of Periodontal Instrumentation and Advanced Root Instrumentation, reminds us that effective and efficient ultrasonic instrumentation requires us to be mindful of the three A's of ultrasonics, which many of you are probably familiar with, adaptation, angulation, and activation. First of all, let's talk adaptation. Adaptation and the correct adaptation of that ultrasonic tip to the tooth is critical. Properly adapting the last two or three millimeters of that working end, which is the active tip area of the insert, against the tooth surface is a key component to enhancing your clinical outcomes. The second aspect of angulation talks about the active tip to tooth angle. And that angle should be maintained at less than 15 degrees. So think of it like the angulation we use during periodontal probing. We want to maintain a proper angulation during instrumentation. Over angulating the insert tip could cause the clinician to adapt more to the point of the working end rather than the active tip area that lasts two or three millimeters. We never want to place the point immediately on the tooth surface during debridement unless we encounter a hard deposit. Overangulation could cause patient discomfort and it could cause tooth surface alterations, damage to the tooth itself. The third aspect 
is activation, that working stroke of the instrument. So the stroke activated by the clinician as opposed to the stroke inherent to the oscillating tip. So this is how we as a clinician are moving the instrument throughout the pocket rather than the action that's happening at, happening at the oscillating tip. So the goal is to navigate the tip through the treatment site with a very methodical approach, attempting to contact every square millimeter of that tooth surface. So yes, we know that that, that cavitation has more of a haloing effect when we're subgingival, but you still want to visualize or have a, a very methodical approach so you're getting the overlapping of the strokes. So after considering the three A's along with power and water force, um, we can discuss tip selection. So when looking mm -hmm. at ultrasonic inserts or tips, um, it is critical that we consider the unique characteristics they provide before determining which instruments to place on the tray, right? So evaluating things such as a diameter, cross-section, shape, and the length even of an insert can help guide clinicians to ensure that they are just selecting the best option for the task at hand. Right. You, you need to have the right shape of tool to do the job too. So the first aspect to consider in proper insert selection and ultrasonic workflow is the diameter. The diameter of the tip is the thickness uh, that best suits your level of hard or soft deposits. So consider what you're going up against. Consider um, how tenacious the deposit is, and then you can make the best choice in, in working tip. So the diameters are much different now than they were 20 years ago back when I was in dental hygiene school. A failure to consider diameter could impact your efficiency and the patient's comfort. It could also increase your, your wear on your instrument and, and cause unnecessary wear to your tools. So the first rule in diameter selection is when moderate to heavy calculus is not present, your standard inserts and tips should be taken out of the game. So if you don't have moderate or heavy calculus in these instances where you have biofilm or very light deposits or very light stain, you really should consider a slim or an ultra slim option because these ultra thin, also known as slim tips, are the best diameter choices when an ultrasonic inserter tip is used for biofilm removal only specifically for very flat anatomy when the active tip will be directly contacting root surfaces that are absent of moderate to heavy hard deposits. So how do you decide between a slim or an ultra thin diameter? An ultra thin is the best choice for biofilm or very light calculus when a slim diameter insert or tip is too thick when, the working, when you're working in areas where the tissue is really healthy or the pockets are really shadow, Sh shadow, shallow. So areas where teeth are in misalignment um, or there's very tight contacts, that really small um, ultra thin size is, is beneficial. The slim is the best diameter choice in the presence of light calculus, uh, light biofilm or stain if it can, if you can get the tip to the sites that need the instrumentation, if it fits in. But in these case, 
in these cases, your decision cannot be made only on the diameter consideration. And I'm going to talk more about cross-section in just a few minutes. So first, I want to explain more about the standard or the thick diameter active tip areas. So the standard is the best diameter choice when the active tip will be in direct contact with a moderate or a heavier hard deposit, you know, those big chunks of calculus where you want to microfracture, um, especially with supra gingival hard deposits where you get that bridge of calculus where you just want to tap, tap, tap it. You want that more heavy duty standard diameter. And these diameter of inserts should not be selected if you only have biofilm or if you only have light calculus or anytime the active tip will be in direct contact with the root surfaces. You need that thinner diameter or the thinner insert and tips when you're working with a situation where you wanna really preserve that root structure. More specifically, the thinner diameter tips or inserts that have a round cross section are the ones that you wanna use in those areas. Not all thin tips have a round cross section. So that's a great summary. So um, tell me more about cross-section. So the cross-section of the insert is the geometry of the active tip. If you would take that ultrasonic insert and saw it off horizontally, don't try it at home. Just trust the manufacturers that, that it is the shape that they say it is, right? But if you sawed it off horizontally, you would have two options that you would look at. The options are a rectangular or diamond, or around when we're referring to that traditional Cavatron system. So the rectangular cross section or the diamond is noted on the standard diameter beaver tail insert. This is that insert that has been around for a long time. This actually did exist when I was in college for that heavy, thick calculus removal, primarily super gingival. Now, the beaver tail doesn't come to a point. It has a rounded toe, and this is ideal for that heavy or tenacious stain that you're tap, tap, tapping on. The diamond cross section can be found on a, um, other standard diameter inserts and tips, but the standard diameter inserts and tips can also have a round cross section. So this is where dental hygienists really need to engage their critical thinking. When you have the choice of two different standard diameter inserts or tips. One has a round cross section, the other one has a diamond cross section. Which should you choose? Well, if the calculus is heavy or even moderate and tenacious, the standard tip with the diamond cross section provides a little more oomph for getting rid of that harder, more tenacious calculus. The round cross section and standard diameter tip insert it might do the task at hand. It would be a good choice. Uh, it's, it's a good exercise when you're treatment planning with ultrasonics to always consider what's gonna be the better option or the best option. So the round cross section is effective for biofilm management, but we have to combine that with the information that we already learned about the diameter. So when an active tip is directly touching the root surfaces, and not contacting moderate to heavy deposits, the best diameter choices would be slim or ultra thin insert. In this case, think slim first. If the tissue is, is um, too tight or crowding doesn't allow that slim in there, then you know you should go with the ultra thin. And so then you use your critical thinking to guide you through the selection of your tip. 
So I think a powerful quote to ponder as you set up your tray for perio patients comes from Jill Gehrig's 2019 textbook, the one that you'd mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and I quote, periodontal health cannot be achieved without removal or disruption of the established biofilm, end quote there. This is something to consider as we select what is on our tray for our perio patients. Mm -hmm. um, the final characteristics of ultrasonic tips are shape and length. So tell us about those aspects and their importance as we work to disrupt biofilm. So the shape and the length allow us to access several different types of tooth morphology and dental anatomy. So longer working ends can allow us to access longer teeth or deeper periodontal spaces. The more curved tips allow us to reach into more posterior areas of the mouth where most root surfaces aren't necessarily flat. And thinking behind this, as, as we consider our choices, if you can access closer to the root, the full action of the ultrasonic unit in terms of micro-streaming, in terms of using um, all that combination of shock waves and cavitation clouds and microjets, all of that physics, if we can get all those things to the area more effectively, all of that will work together to penetrate the biofilm in that more hard to reach area and flush it away from the periodontal spaces. So sometimes you need that added length with a longer tooth. Sometimes you need the added curvature to access a, most po a more posterior point. Um, and a friendly reminder to everyone tuning in is that all the insert considerations we discussed, including diameter, cross-section, adaptation, angulation, power levels, let's think I got it, um, will not matter at all if we are not frequently and routinely um, monitoring our inserts for wear. Um, we need to ensure that we have not worked off our active working end um, in the use of these tips over time. Because again, it's only a, a millimeters there, just millimeters. And once that it, it mm -hmm. goes away quick. The effectiveness goes away quick. Right. Depending on the tip, it's, you know, two to three millimeters. And thanks for that reminder. So remember the insert characteristics we discussed during insert selection and utilizing that ultrasonic instrumentation as a triple threat. If you want to have every capability that that tip offers, we need to make sure that that tip is in its best working order and that you haven't gone beyond your wear life of that tip. So the ultrasonic disrupts and removes the biofilm. It removes the hard deposits. It takes the stain off all in one package. So make sure you're monitoring your inserts and your tips for wear. So they're giving you the best outcomes. Yeah, because without that monitoring, you're, you're, working, you're working harder. You're working harder and it's probably not right. going to be fun for your patients either. Um, so I think that about wraps it up. Um, I encourage everyone to spend some time considering what's on your tray and whether those selections match the personal health goals of your patient. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Emily, for chatting with me today. And I want to thank Dent Splice Rona for supporting this video and for all of you tuning in. Um, I appreciate the privilege of your time. Thank you for listening to the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 